the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 40 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. Bob Bergman here, broadcasting from my office in San Jose, California, in the Cambrian Park neighborhood. I'm going to have a fairly low-key show today. First of all, I want to let you all know that uh, I do have another estate planning workshop coming up in my office. It is going to be November 9th at um, between 11.30 in the morning to 12.30 in the afternoon. So it goes over uh, the lunch hour. That is a Wednesday, as I recall. And uh, it will be in my office. You can register by going to my website at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and look for the button to, um, or actually look in the, the menu for uh, workshops. If you click on that, it will take you to a page where you can actually read what the workshop's about. And then there'll be a link at the bottom that you can click on to register. You can register more than one person at a time. So if you're coming with a spouse or with a friend or another relative, you can register all of you uh, at the same time. So you don't actually uh, need to register uh, you don't need to register multiple times if you're um, actually going to be um, coming with other people. So that's um, that's just kind of help that out a bit right there. I'm going to uh, jump into the show right now and uh, talk about questions and comments that come from around the state of California. That's the usual format for my show. And I'm going to start first with one out of Discovery Bay, California. Uh, An older couple uh, in their late 70s asked the question, um, or said, we have a living trust. We'd like our two children to inherit our house when we pass as a rental. What is the best way to make it happen? Well, (laughs) This is the kind of thing that I can have an extended discussion with new clients who are talking about how should they pass property on to their children. I mean, there's a lot of options. It can be an outright distribution. It can be a distribution in trust that distributes property uh, in installments over typically a period of years. Or it could be a distribution in trust where it's actually held in trust 
for the benefit of the child or children. All of those things are possibilities. But the best way, there's really no best way. It's what's the best way for a particular family. And in this case, I would need to meet with them, have them uh, tell me all about their children, what their children's life situations are in. Are their children married or unmarried? Do they have children? Do they have any concern about a child losing property uh, in a divorce that they go through or because they are in a high-risk profession and they could make a mistake and get sued for malpractice? or just because they may have business or other debts that could end up coming against their inheritance. Another thing, though, that I would make sure this family knows is that if if this property is going to the children and the children um, are not going to be, or one of the children is not going to be occupying the property as a personal residence, then the new Proposition 19 will mean that the real property taxes on this property will be revalued to the date of death value of the second parent. And that will be the new tax bill that they're paying. So these parents, it says they're in their late 70s, it's possible that they have owned this property for 30, 40, or even 50 years. And if that's the case, it's very likely that the property tax bill will go up tremendously when the second parent dies. And that's going to be another consideration for the children, whether or not it makes sense to pay significantly high property taxes on the property and keep the property as a rental property. I suspect in most cases, the property will end up being sold, the proceeds divided between the children, and they'll each go their separate way. Um, it's not often that siblings are interested in going into business with another sibling, especially being co-owners and co-landlords of a piece of rental property. That's not real commonplace. Of course, it does exist. There are some families that their entire family is built around real estate investment or some other kind of activity. But in a case like this, it's questionable whether or not the the children would, in fact, want to keep the property as a rental property as opposed to selling it. So, as you can probably tell from my extended answer here, simple question, very complex answer, and one that can't even really be answered just on the radio here. Um, I would need to meet with these people and actually go into significantly significantly more depth about just what it is that they are trying to accomplish. Now here out of Pleasanton, California, person says, recently my son-in-law passed away. Six months before his death, my daughter filed for dissolution of their marriage and during the court proceedings uh, pending, he died. Two years ago, my daughter and son-in-law jointly purchased a house and registered in both of their names with a right of survivorship attached to the titling. Question, does my daughter 
become the sole owner of the house or does it come under community property? I'll start first by saying that those are not necessarily mutually exclusive situations. You can have joint ownership of a property, even with right of survivorship between a husband and wife, and have it also be community property for tax purposes. In a case like this, if there was no actual uh, action taken to divide the property in any way, um, the short answer is yes, this person's daughter will now actually receive her husband's half of the property through the right of survivorship. That would pretty much apply even if they weren't married, as long as they had that right of survivorship. So, um, you know, that it's not necessarily um, a bad result. I don't know if they have children or not. Um, presumably then the children would uh, inherit from their mother. Uh, if their mother does a plan, I think their mother should do a plan regardless because you don't want a piece of real estate having to go through the entire probate process in order to actually be turned over to the next generation or to other family members or people that the person would want the property to go to. So we're coming up on the end of the first segment today. And I just wanted to repeat when I started the show that I do have a workshop coming up November 9th in my office. I indicated to go to my website and look for the menu item talking about workshops. I say that because I'm in the process of having my website redone and the uh, the final version may not actually have a direct link on the home page to register for workshops but you can always look at the menu at the top for workshops and click on that and we'll take you to the page in my website that describes the workshop and gives you a link where you can register so we'll be continuing after this first break in the show today with the second segment this is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll get back with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the second segment of the show today. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Out of San Francisco, a person asked a question about their existing trust, rental property, and other records that they have. person said, I'd like to change my full legal name. How would that affect my trust, my rental property, and all other records? What should I be aware of? Do I need a lawyer to do I need to hire a lawyer to change the name on the dynasty trust I have? The dynasty trust, that's basically a more technical description for what I call the castle trust, a trust set up for somebody for their lifetime uh, in order to provide benefits for them for their lifetime. I would say that if you're going to do a full legal name change, you're probably going to need to go around and update 
pretty much everything that you have with the new name. That includes social, your social security number, um, bank accounts, brokerage accounts, your driver's license, maybe even maybe even the ownership on property, um, transferring the title from yourself to yourself in the new name, indicating that this is your new name. Um, you may or may not need an attorney to assist you with that, but but in some cases it might make sense to actually have someone help you update your records, especially if they're records that are recorded somewhere, such as the uh, county recorder's office. Okay, question. Is a trust still valid if the trustee gets remarried and dies before changing the trust and his will? My father remarried my mother and passed away two months after they were remarried. He has a trust that holds his property. Is the trust still valid? Does my mother have any rights to his property since she is now his wife, apparently his wife again? The trust is still valid. The, the mother who is the wife again may have some claims to some portion of the property of the trust, uh, basically... Um, a spousal share, um, the trust itself would distribute according to what the trust said, but the wife may have some kind of claim against property in that trust. That's uh, a claim that would have to be established in the courts as a spousal share. It's not something that's automatic. Um, And how much of the share would depend on um, the spouse's own income, own assets, how much they might need to be helped and taken care of by the assets of the the um, spouse that just passed away, this person's father. Um, so it's not a simple answer to the question. It's an easy question to ask. The answer is more complicated. It uh, It may also involve family law. And not just estate planning. It's probably as much a family law question as an estate planning question. But that's kind of my somewhat extended answer to the question. Okay, out of Glendale, California. Glendale, a nice shopping center there uh, near Griffith Park and not that far from Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Um, um, my family is going to be down uh, passing through that area uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday. We're, we're going to go to Universal Studios for a day, and then we're going to spend a day at Disney and a day at Disney California Adventure. It's kind of a short trip for us, but uh, looking forward to uh, being down there and uh, experiencing the holiday season uh, down there at those three different parks. This person said, I rented my property in Southern California a few months ago, and it's under my name alone. I recently did some estate planning, and I got a revocable living trust. I'm about to place that property into the trust ownership with me as the trustee, 
but I wonder if I need to have my tenant sign an amendment to the lease regarding this change and who she pays, such as me as the trustee instead of me as an individual. Thank you. The short answer is I don't know that you need to have an amendment signed, but you should probably notify as the owner of the property, notify your tenant that uh, when you've set it into a trust, if you wish, please make checks payable to John Jones trustee, not just John Jones. Um, Beyond that, since it's a revocable living trust, it doesn't really make all that much difference whether the check's made payable to you or made payable to the trust, except if it's made payable to you as trustee of the trust and something were to happen to you, it's pretty clear that it's actually a trust asset if that check still needs to be negotiated and deposited rather than something in your individual name. So that's kind of the short answer to that question as well. Out of Simi Valley, California. Person says, my mother has late stage Alzheimer's and cannot sign. Can my father sign for my mother in order to quit claim their house to my name? Well, I'll start first by saying that's probably a bad idea unless you actually live in the house as your residence because if you don't, that will trigger 100% reassessment of the property taxes on the property. And if the mother has late-stage Alzheimer's, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say she's probably pretty elderly to have late-stage Alzheimer's disease. But the father can't just sign a deed or a transfer deed or any transfer paperwork on behalf of his wife unless, unless she had granted him a power of attorney that gave the authority to transfer property or assets that are in her name to whomever he wishes them to be transferred to. So if there is no power of attorney, there is no authority. Repeat, there is no authority for the husband to sign his wife's name who's incapacitated in order to transfer the property. That's pretty basic power of attorney law and transfer law. Um, They could, if there's some reason to do it, conceivably the husband could go to court and get permission to make that transfer, what's called a substituted judgment. But... um, That's pretty complicated, and the court might not actually permit that if it means that the husband is now uh, giving up his wife's interest in the property. Okay, we're coming up on the mid-show break. When we come back, we'll continue with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, and we'll talk with you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the show. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, we'll jump now to 
a question out of Los Angeles, California. And uh, this person says, um, I live in California and my mother lives in Tijuana, Mexico. My mother lived in the U.S. on a visa and was thrown out of the country because of drugs. I go to visit her in Mexico every week. My husband and I are her sole support financially. My mom wants us to get a power of attorney for her over her financial and medical issues. How do we do this? Well, it sounds like the mother is a citizen of Mexico and is living in Mexico. And unless the mother has property here in California that needs to be handled by by the uh, by the daughter and the husband anything that she would need to do to give authority to handle things for her would be done in Mexico because she lives in Mexico and she is apparently a Mexican citizen I, I'm assuming that to be the case anyway so this is not something that's handled in California and it sounds like the mother will not be back in California anytime soon if she was here on a visa and was ejected from the country due to drugs. Don't know if that was drug use or drug sale, but it probably means that if she were to come back, she would be coming back and would not be here with any legal status whatsoever. Now this one out of Newport Beach, California. And it does raise some issues. It says the trustee of a trust with two beneficiaries wants to use trust, trust cash and secure a second mortgage on real property owned by the trust to purchase a second retail location for his personal retail business, which has never been affiliated with the trust in any way. And he wants to continue to operate this business fully on his own. He intends calling it the same name. And I'm sure will commingle funds and merchandise. Can he do this or is this a conflict of interest? Oh, heck yes, it's a conflict of interest. More than a conflict of interest. Someone taking money out of a trust to buy something for their own personal benefit Unless he's the beneficiary, then it's basically theft. It's embezzlement. It's conversion. There's a lot of legal terms for what's going on. It would be grounds to have this person removed as the trustee by the court and a demand made that any monies that were taken out be repaid back to the trust, likely with interest and maybe with some penalties tacked on as well for stealing from the trust. I never cease to be amazed at what people think they're permitted to do in a situation like this. It, it kind of boggles the mind when I hear things like this. But uh, no, um, this person can't use trust monies to buy a business and and to buy a business for himself unless he's the beneficiary of the trust and has the authority to take money out to do whatever he wants with. So needs to be a little bit more information on here, but as a general rule, what I just read is not really permitted. 
Okay, here out of Pasadena, California. Right next door to Glendale. My sister, who is the trustee of Mom's Trust, has not distributed from the trust, and it's been 18 months since Mom died. Through her lawyer, she's telling us, please understand the trustee has the right to have the administration and an accounting approved, either through a court proceeding or by having the beneficiaries waive the court proceeding and its attendant costs. We're providing the waiver option in the interest of minimizing the expenses to the trust and thereby to you as beneficiaries of any court proceedings. The thing is, the accounting she did send to the other siblings does not account for over $100,000 of mom's property. So obviously we're not going to sign a waiver. Does that mean she's able to continue to not distribute indefinitely? No, not really. Um, I would demand an accounting at this point. If if you and the other siblings believe that there's over $100,000 missing, then this trustee who's the sister probably needs to spend the money to have an accounting done. And by saying waive an accounting, it's like, oh, well, then I maybe don't have to tell you where that money went. It may very well be that the sister has taken the money, spent it on herself or her family or things like that, and doesn't want to admit that because, as I talked about the previous situation, that's a no-no. That can get you removed as the trustee. It can get an order from the court demanding that it be returned, likely with interest, and at the very least, charged against your distributive share from the trust. But it sounds like this trustee, if there's really over $100,000 missing and unaccounted for, this trustee should be removed as the trustee for failure to account and maybe for basically stealing from the trust. All of that would come out if a petition for accounting was filed by the other beneficiaries. Okay, uh, my mom passed away on July 11th. This is out of San Jose, by the way, my, my town here. She no longer owned a home. Her only assets were two Edward Jones accounts totaling under $100,000. Do we need to lodge mom's will and notify the beneficiaries? Well, the short answer is the law requires that the will be lodged. Lodged means filed with the court, in this case, here in Santa Clara County. Um, the beneficiaries under the will should be also notified. If it's not, if it includes people that already know mom died, already have a copy of the will, then they already know that they're beneficiaries and there's really not much formally to be done after that. If it's under 100000 then the trustee... Not the, excuse me, not the trustee, the executor on the will would have the authority to go to Edward Jones with an affidavit of small estate value that lists these accounts and identifies 
who the beneficiaries, in this case the heirs, are under the will and provides a certified copy of mom's death certificate and then directs Edward Jones to distribute the funds or whatever they are to the beneficiaries named in the affidavit. Uh, In a case like this, the best thing would be to have all of the heirs sign the affidavit so that they're all saying we're entitled to receive whatever it is, you know, equal shares between the three of us or 50, 25, 25, kind of whatever the will says. And that would be the way to handle that. Out of Hayward, California, someone asked the question. Said, my husband closed up my dad's inheritance account without my knowledge and took a $2,000 loan on life insurance. Can I get this back during a divorce? First of all, family law question. (laughs) But um, I'm not sure about dad's inheritance account without knowledge. Was that something this person inherited from their father? And if so, how did the husband close it out if the husband wasn't on the account? It sounds like the husband was put on the account by uh, by the spouse. And I would say probably not a good idea, especially since there's now a divorce going on. And then the $2,000 loan on life insurance, presumably that was life insurance um, owned by the husband maybe even insuring the husband's life. And um, and if that's the case, he could probably go ahead and take a $2,000 loan and the insurance company's not going to make a big deal of that if he's the owner of the policy. So now yeah, it may be something that can be brought up in the dissolution of the marriage, certainly maybe demanding that the inheritance account be paid back because it, Probably wasn't the husband's property at all. But these are all things that actually have to be demonstrated and proven inside the context of uh, a petition for dissolution of a marriage, which is more colloquially known as a divorce petition. Okay, um, let's see. Out of Irvine, this is a quick one. Two objections have been filed with the court to a petition that includes prima facie, meaning on the surface, evidence of accounting fraud, etc., etc. In the answers to the petition, the people that were suing only denied, provided no exhibits, and didn't counterclaim anything other than charges if we lose. They haven't answered the claims. Well, if they denied everything, that's all they have to file. You have to then go prove it. If there's a claim that you made that they did not deny, you can probably move for ju- summary judgment on that claim and get a judgment on that claim because they failed to reply in any way. Okay, third break. After the break, we'll finish out the show. This is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back to the final segment of the show today. 
I just have one more question and comment to deal with today. And then I'll uh, spend a little bit of time <clears throat> talking about kind of the content of the upcoming workshop that I have in November. The ones that I've done so far have been pretty well received. And, uh, and I'm finding people are coming away with a greater knowledge of, um, of things about estate planning and also more of a sense of just what, uh, what might be important in the area of estate planning. But um, the thing I'm going to talk about now is a situation out of Petaluma, California. And um, this is one that also crosses over into family law, but I'm going to address it from uh, an estate planning standpoint. Person said, uh, my domestic partner and I were living together in my home that I own, and we had a 28-year relationship. We did not marry. And I'm going to pause right there. Key to this is whether or not when someone says, my domestic partner, they mean a domestic partnership registered with the state of California, not a domestic partnership, for example, in San Francisco, which doesn't have the same level of status as one registered with the state. Uh, or does the person mean we were just living together and we called ourselves domestic partners? So let's assume this was a formal domestic partnership registered with the state. Person says, we broke up five years ago, but never dissolved the domestic partnership as neither of us had any, any intention of marrying. Let's pause right there. Domestic partnerships in California for inheritance purposes and also for dissolution purposes are treated substantially the same as marriages in California for California purposes. So if you want to end a marriage, you have to file for a dissolution of a marriage. You have to file for divorce. You do the same thing for a domestic partnership. You can't just unfile the domestic partnership because there are actual legal rights, property rights, inheritance rights, other rights that flow from being a registered domestic partner. Virtually the same as a marriage in California. The major substantive difference is a domestic partnership in California is not recognized by the federal tax authorities, the IRS, in other words. So you're not married for federal tax purposes, but you're considered effectively married for California income tax purposes, for inheritance tax purposes, for inheritance purposes, and pretty much everything else that is virtually identical to a marriage. So he said, we broke up. We had no intention of marrying. There's no intention of ever resuming our relationship. But the fact of the matter is, even though you broke up, you moved apart, 
you're not don't intend to get together, you are still registered domestic partners under California law. This person said, I have a living trust which doesn't name her as my beneficiary. She moved out with all her possessions. We have no mutual debt. We don't co-own any personal property. And we had no children together. It wasn't until recently I had concerns about whether she or her heirs could have any legal right to my estate upon my death. And I'm not certain if there are any financial reasons or obligations where a dissolution of the partnership would be warranted. This is one of those situations where I would advise this person, you need to consult with a family lawyer right away to determine whether or not you actually have any ongoing obligations, maybe even support obligations, if your domestic partner needed assistance. Could your domestic partner go to court and ask for basically the equivalent of spousal support? I don't know the answer to that question. I suspect that um, that the answer might be somewhat favorable, but it could also be unfavorable. And I would suspect a family lawyer would advise what is the upside and downside of doing nothing at all and whether or not filing to dissolve the domestic partnership actually might be the safest thing to do as far as the inheritance of your property and having it go to the people you want it to go to. So this segment flew by really quickly. We just have about 45 seconds left. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the show today. And I will be back next Friday with more Plan Your Estate Radio. I want you all to have a great weekend and uh, be safe on the road out there. Uh, I know it can get a little crazy sometimes on our freeways here in the Bay Area, but just watch out for yourself. Do some defensive driving. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I hope you have a great weekend. So goodbye for now, Bay Area. See you next week. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.